Welcome to the B-Sides and Beers podcast. Sides and Beers, episode 60. Tonight we're talking Oasis with Simon, owner of Welton Arms Brewing out of Kelowna, BC. What's going on? Thanks for coming out. Oh, my pleasure. Oasis, man. Oasis. This I'm pumped for this one. Uh, we kind of threw out three different uh band ideas to Simon, and uh we we went with uh the prodigy and we went with uh Oh, Mike, what was your pick? The Yardbird, oh. wasn't it? Yardbirds. Yardbirds. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then we went with Oasis and, and Simon connected with Oasis. So that's tonight. So I'm, I'm pumped up for that. So thanks for joining us, Simon. Oh, no worries. Yeah, and Oasis was, uh, that was a no-brainer for me. That is a band from my local area where I'm from and was like a quintessential part of my childhood as well. So, yeah, big band for me. Yeah, biggest band in the world for a good, you know, five, six years. Totally. Yeah, well, it's funny because it definitely felt that way in England, but I know, like, they famously had a difficult time breaking into America after having one of the most horrendous, like, first tours in the U.S. where they apparently accidentally bought a bunch of meth when they thought it was cocaine and then just played <laughs> terrible shows all over the U.S. high on meth. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what makes them great. It's amazing. <laughs> it's actually video of, the, of some of those shows. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, excellent, excellent choice. Yeah. And I, I kind of, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that personal connection uh, with that too. Um, we're going to start it off by what we are drinking and I'm going to kick it off. If you don't mind, I'm going to, I'm going to jump right in there because I, I, I didn't want to spoil it, but this is the one that I saved the Vickers cross, the, uh, Welton brewing, uh, the Vickers cross stout. Um, and I, I dig, you know, there's a lot of the, the, the blurbs that we've read and we've read a lot of blurbs <laughs> over the last two years <laughs> drinking, these different beers right and this is one of the best ones that i've read and uh, i like it because it's short and here it is a challenging and complex beer that takes no prisoners and packs a heavy punch this beer is so rich other beers are jealous (laughs) (laughs) 6.3 percent born in england Brewed in Kelowna. There we go. I'm going to try it right now. Simon, did you write that? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Thanks. Oh, that's and, fantastic. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. 
And again, I'm not just saying that because you're here. It's very <laughs> tasty. Um, sorry, I don't want to get too into that yet. Uh, I'll ask that question in a bit. Uh, the other one that I'm drinking um, is Hoyne Brewing Company. I'm drinking a Czech half dark lager. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I like I those dark know. lagers. Yeah, I, I do too. And I just, I don't know what a Czech one is but i'm gonna find out and there's a there's a really long blurb on this and i'm not gonna read that so um <laughs> yeah that's what i'm doing and this is a 4.9 percent, so quite a bit later but so simon you could probably correct me if i'm wrong here where loggers were first done in what is now czech the czech republic like isn't that where brewing loggers originally came from um well um, it's a good, yeah, I know, I, I know continental Europe, certainly. Um, I mean, typically when I think of a Czech lager, it's using one of the like sort of old noble hops, like SARS is what I would do if I was making that sort of beer. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely like, it's funny when we first opened, people would come in and be like, Oh, I want a British lager. And I had to tell them that doesn't exist. Like we don't, you know, there is lager in Britain, but it's all. Dutch, German, French, Australian. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm not exactly sure. It might, yeah, I, I bet you're probably right. It's probably like that sort of Czech or like Prussian sort of, you know, historic area, sort of pre-modern Europe. Yeah, it would make sense that it comes from there. Um, yeah, I mean they certainly make some of the best lagers now. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's it for me. Right Who's on. up? Who's up? Uh, I'll go next. So I've got first one here is from Tofino Brewing Company. Yeah, yeah. It is the Tough Session Ale. It's a 5.0. Yeah, they it's had, a good one. Yeah, there was yep. there was three. This is the first time I've had had. I think first time I've had anything from Tofino. And uh, the other one that they had there, which I didn't buy, was I think we per- or we talked about it before. Was the uh, what is it? A, a kelp stout? Do you recall? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't grab it. I, I wasn't. Uh, I, I wasn't uh, brave enough to give that one a go this time, but I will give it a go at some point, just because it's there and I have to do it. So and, salty. It's salty, probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll I'll grab one for the next for the next recording. Uh, but the other one uh, is from also Hoyne Brewing. Mm. Yeah, and in the I guess the vein of of our conversation this evening, this is their Appleton's finest British ale. So, mm. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, nice. Four, but yeah, excited for that one. So yeah, that's what I will label on that too. Yeah, sweet. Am yeah, I up? up. Yeah. Up, so tonight I've got a. Um, I've got a few here, but I've got a Twin City Power Struggle. Uh, it's a s'more golden stout. And to be honest with you, I had it in my hand. I was in line to pay. I turned around to put it back on the shelf because I was like, I don't know, s'more. That sounds sweet. Sounds too sweet. And I just held, 
I held on to it. It's it's like an eight percent or so. Also, I was like, oh man, it's a seven point six. I wasn't you know wasn't too keen on getting ripped off of one beer. So I was like, oh, I could just like pick up a nice four point five whatever stout, a nice easy drinking something. But I held on to it. So, and it's not bad. It's it is sweet, and it's not your typical stout. Wow, that's pretty. Yeah, it's like amber almost. Yeah, that's, I mean, uh, hence the golden stout but um yeah, yeah i mean it's it's all right i mean i'll let you know at the end of this glass how i feel about it but that's yeah. interesting i wonder what so i wonder how they're claiming that's a stout then if it doesn't have because like you know when you're defining what's the difference between like a stout and a porter yeah um it's um it literally comes down to like the was literally one ingredient, but it's like a roasted malt and it's like one that's unmodified, I think is in stouts and then the modifieds in pours out. I can't remember now. Um, but yeah, so I don't know how you can get away with calling that a stout. I'm sure they have a good answer for it, but this doesn't say on the can, does it? Disclaimer. Our struggle is our experimental golden stout where we replace all of the dark roasty malts with alternate yet similar flavors so it sounds like it's similar but maybe not I can't believe it's not stout yeah i can't believe it's not stout man <laughs> yeah that's that's a good one yeah and it's not i mean like I, yeah it's different I'll, I'll give you that i usually like twin city stuff so um like i said i'll let you know at the end of the glass and um Anyway, just to uh, keep it short here, I also got a Twin Sales Good Clean Fun West Coast IPA. That's a good one. And then a Four Winds Huff Gold Pilsner. I'm excited about that. Nice. Yeah. What was the last one? Sorry, the, uh, what kind of Pilsner? Uh, a Huff Gold Pilsner from Four Winds. I don't know what that is, but it sounds good. Simon. What are you drinking? Um, so actually, I'm right now. It was a nice sunny day, so I'm actually drinking a German Radler, um, which is by um, I was pronounced it wrong. I think it's Schofferhofer. Um, and like, yeah, just fancy something easy right now. But I did have a weird beer just earlier. Um, because I went into the liquor store and I was like, I was like to find something I've never had and see if it's worth something we want to play around with. Yeah. And so I had from Collective Arts, which is out of Hamilton. They do really good stuff. You ever see Collective Arts? Pretty much anything oh, yeah. is worth trying. Um, but it was a Imperial Sour Strawberry Pastry Beer. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> And so I'm like, what the hell is that? So, um, yeah, I tried it. It was good. It does have like, like, yeah, I'm not like, I've heard, you know, I'm sure we've, you guys have tried some pastry beers. Like they've been around last couple of years. It's starting to get more popular. Um, and yeah, there was kind of that, like, almost like, yeah, if like kind of tasted almost like a pie and it was strawberry and it was sour and it was like seven and a half percent. So it was pretty buzzy. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think I'd drink more than one, but it was, yeah, it was definitely an interesting sort of novel beer um, I hadn't tried before. 
Let's check it off the list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And did it make the cut? Is it something that you're interested in trying out? With the, uh... <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's not jumping to the top of the list, I don't think. No, but, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it'd be actually a cool one to do as a winter sour. Um, yeah, yeah, because we we you know we're lucky we have twenty taps um, in our in our uh, tap room, so we can have some obscure stuff and we still have room for the stuff people really want. Um, wow. So yeah, yeah. I might throw something like that on at some point. 20 is huge. Like that's, is they're all filled at, at all times. Kind of, you have something going on all everyone. Yeah. So I, that was always my goal, which is why like we actually have um, a five hex system. Like it's not a particularly big system, um, but the means then is, yeah, we have enough and we have two fridges. I have a fridge at the brewery and I have a fridge at our actual tap room space. There's, they're both big. Um, so that we don't have any issues with bottleneck. Cause like, yeah, with some of the other local breweries, if they have like a 10 or a 20 hex system and you want to have 20 taps, well, you have to have, you know, say you've got a 20 hex system, you're making 40 kegs of beer at a time nearly. And so if you have 20 taps, you have to have space in your fridge for 20 times 40 40 kegs, yeah oh yeah um, which is a bl- that's a lot of bloody kegs um whereas with us yeah like you know we uh we do have enough room for even when we're pretty much fully stocked between the two fridges um with our size of system it does mean our brewer is always busy but you know, you know typically that's your salary employee anyway so keeping them you know working 40 hours a week is is you know is fine yeah yeah um, but, uh, yeah, and it means then, yeah, we literally have kind of one of everything. We, well, we have a couple of everything, really a couple of IPAs always, uh, a couple of different, obviously more standard British ales. And then right now we have two dark beers, two sours. Yeah. Um, two light beers, pretty much two of everything. And, uh, how, how often do you cycle through different, uh, you know, new runs of, uh, testing? Well, it's interesting. Like we, we actually, I think we're more sort of like inconsistent with what was on the menu in the early days where we were just trying out lots of things and we were, you know, we weren't worried about having, we didn't really consider anything as a core item to begin with. Um, and now, um, you know, we, we, the tap room has been open for a year. The brewery has been open for nearly two years. Um, and so what's happened is we've, we've, it's become very clear what our popular beers are and the ones that like, if I don't have them on tap, people are genuinely upset and, you know, <laughs> like, don't, you know, seriously disappointed. So those have become just by default, the sort of core lineup of beers. Um, and then, yeah, we probably have about, well, usually what I do is I kind of look at what's our like bottom two or three beers for the month. And then I'm, or the two months and they're probably not going to get remade at least for a while. And then, um, we try out something new. Um, but yeah, no, we've, uh, yeah, we do have, there were probably about 12, at least 12 beers now that I, we consistently brew because you know, the demands there for them. Right. That's Um, awesome. How how much of those, uh, offerings do you have on can as opposed to strictly tap? Um, to be honest, like our canning has been, um, 
right now, like the the Chester Bitter, which is our best selling beer in the tap room, is the one that we're always year round canning. And then I did the Stout and the Mild. We did runs of those in the winter, um, and the British Warlock. We did uh, a while off, which was our butterscotch ale which is based on butter beer from harry potter um but we just did in cans because it was kept getting requested uh i did a a white chocolate beer in cans and that was um it was funny i actually only made that as kind of a gimmick it was like well it was it was actually for my my wedding um i wanted to make we had a couple of beers on tap at the wedding and i was like well let's do one that's not you know for the really for the non-beer drinkers and we made it and it's you know white chocolate's really hard flavor to put into beer because it's not it's not like you can just pour in white chocolate like you can with cheese. <laughs> yeah, you have to basically synthetically create that flavor. Um, so anyway, we made one and I, I tried it and I was like, yeah, it's all right, it's fine, and it'll do. And you know, we used like a keg at the wedding, so I had another eight kegs of it left. So I threw it on at the tap room and it was surprisingly popular. So, and then people kept asking for cans of it. So I was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll can it then. And, and so, yeah, that's ended up in cans now. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm kind of the cans side of things. Like, uh, we are in a bunch of liquor stores and clone and stuff, but it's not the, the biggest sort of thing that we're, we, we we're focused on to begin with, but I think over time it'll just organically grow a little bit, which will be nice. Right. Right. Yeah, when I when I came down to to meet you that first time, uh, popped in there and you had you had quite a few canned at the time, and you, we we grabbed a four pack off of you. Uh, two of them that I had, well, I split them with uh, with Flip, and the two that I had, I had the the bitter and your butterscotch ale, and they were both solid, like super solid. I, I've been meaning to drive down there and pick up some more, but uh, <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Uh, I can ask now, Simon, the, the can, or sorry, the label on the can, um, it, it's got the different like number or sorry, the different colors and like the different dots on there. Like the, um, yeah, like it, it says brown fruit and sour, dark IPA and hoppy. So is that like for this, is that kind of like the, the ranking system? Well, what it was, the idea was to like have but. the, the, basically, yeah, the idea was to color code our cans so all the dark beers would be purple, the sort of brown or ambery beers would be all yellow cans. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the, like they would be, like, they'd be black plus purple, black plus yellow. Um, I'm not, actually now I'm like, I don't know if that's a great idea because it just, like, if you have the stout and the mild next to each other on the shelf, it looks like the same beer almost. Right. Um, so I'm not sure if we're going to carry on with that, but that was that was the original idea. Yeah, yeah, and this this uh, the logo is awesome. the The crest is that. Uh, yeah, that is all what, credit what, to that is all credit to. Um, so what it's actually based on the um, crest of the city I'm from, Chester, and I gave it to um, some. This is a bit confusing, but it's my brother's brother-in-law um so um no sorry yes my brother's brother-in-law and he actually has a really cool job he's a graphic designer for like album art is what he does so 
So I, I, I'm pretty sure I gave him this and it probably took him about 10 minutes. <laughs> and he said it back. And I was like, that's amazing. And he's like, all right, yeah, cool. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best when that kind of stuff happens like that but yeah it's it's awesome it's like uh it it, it kind of takes you back like it, it kind of reminds you like harry potter mixed with like i don't know like you know king arthur kind of stuff right like it's just yeah it's got like the peace sign mixed in there and just a great great crest yeah yeah it's um like it's been hard to tell but like on the right you've got like wheat which was actually just that's what's uh, Chester, oh, yeah. Chester has wheat in their emblem for some reason. And then the sword. And then the original one has a, a lion and a wolf. Okay. Um, but he went for the more symmetrical two lions on it. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, I, I just remember looking at it thinking, that's a, like a, the Chester crest was cool. So yeah, it was, I thought it'd be good inspiration. And yeah, he ran with it and killed it. But it definitely so, suits, it definitely suits the product, so that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I was gonna ask you, Simon, like, so if you let's say then you know take that strawberry pastry beer and you like it and you want to put it into the lineup, what happens next? Like, do you start coming up with the recipe and doing that, or how does that process happen? Like, who orders the hops? Who orders the materials? You know what I mean? Like, how does that all yeah. kind of come together? Well, for us, um, it's my, so typically what happens is, um, I design the recipes, um, and, um, I kind of do sort of all the planning stuff for the brewery. And then, uh, my brewer at the moment is a guy called Paul, who's awesome brewer. Um, he's actually from Hamilton originally, and he went to Niagara college for brewing. Um, and so basically, yeah, I'll come up with the recipe and a lot of like the early ones were ones that I did homebrewing and, you know, testing. And, you know, I basically there was about a two year period there where I brewed a batch of beer every single week and <laughs> I just, just tried something different every week. And, um, you know, sometimes I'd be just tweaking. Sometimes I'd just be trying something completely new, but, you know, all within the parameters of logic of, of brewing um and now nowadays it's it's funny like the i just did a new recipe for um a saison and we haven't i made i think i made a farmhouse saison i think i made a blackberry saison once at home but really it's something like sorry about that no worries you're back just one second uh where were we where were we we were talking about recipes and yeah yeah um yeah so yeah i was talking about the saison yeah so yeah so yeah so so it's kind of like for us i'm always like okay how can i like maybe do something a little bit um within our wheelhouse in terms of ingredients and execution but still still do something that's closer to what it should be. So for that one, like we used some English base malt um, and some English um, sort of additional malts too. Um, But I did bring in um, like a proper farmhouse yeast and, um, but that, and then the water I used, um, 
a water profile from uh, Belgium, from Antwerp, I think. Ah, uh, Antwerp. Yeah, to make it hopefully more sort of uh, authentic. Um, and then for hops, yeah, just use a simple continental hop as well. Um, and so, yeah, like, see how it turns out. But I know within those parameters, it's not going to be horrible. Like, it should be, you know, perfectly fine beer. Um, but, yeah, I'd be curious to see if it's brilliant or if it's just good enough, you know? We'll yeah. see. So with, like, everything that's happening right now, like supply, supply chain issues and stuff like that, like, are you ever like in a tight spot, like when you need to fly in like a different kind of malt or like a yeast or is there, uh, has anything been affected because of what's happening right now? Um, like honestly, like the, I have more issues with like supplies for our, like, like the food in the restaurant has been um, more of an issue where we're literally like not being able to get like the fish or you know the potatoes things like that which you're like really like how is that wow. possible? um but actually on the brewing side of things like um we usually typically get yeast from imperial out of portland which is overnight shipped and they're always pretty on time and um malt we have a couple of suppliers hops is sometimes a little bit you know they they have you ask for four different kinds and they have two of them but typically if you go to someone else or you wait a couple of weeks you will get them and so, you know, sometimes you just have to be a little flexible and um, or make little tweaks. And, you know, there are there are hops that you can uh, swap out for other ones and you can pretty much get the same result. Um, so, yeah, you can sort of. Uh, I don't know if you. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it would be a lot tougher if we were making, you know, a thousand hex a week. Um, I think then you, you know, then you're really like, I, I don't envy trying to, you know, do the logistics for Granville Island or someone like that. That would be a nightmare. Um, but when you're a small brewery, you can just roll with the punches. I think a lot easier. And so you were talking about like just making these beers like a different beer a week. So is that, is that how you figured this all out? Like, did you just do this by trial and error or did you, did you go to, did you have schooling for this or did you, how did you put um, it all together? For me personally, I, it was funny. I like, I started watching um, videos on how to brew beer and reading things when I was in the fourth year of my degree, which is in uh, philosophy and psychology. And I was procrastinating on my final exams by watching videos of blokes brewing beer. And <laughs> I thought it was interesting. And it was, it was funny because I didn't, when I started university, I started university late. I was, I didn't go to university until I was 23. And I, um, I didn't drink a lot of beer at the time at all. And then uh, craft beer was seen, was getting bigger and bigger in Vancouver when I lived there. And, and so I started, like, I remember someone gave me a postmark raspberry ale and I was just, I'd never had anything like that. I was so intrigued by this, you know, I was like, this is, this is beer. I'm like, okay, this is cool. <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah, and that got me sort of more into it. And then, yeah, I'd never really, and then I can't, I, I think what happened was I went to a party and someone had brought their own beer that they'd made and gave me it and it wasn't terrible. And that got me thinking, I was like, wow, you can, you can, you can do this at home. Like you can just make a beer. And I, um, but it was funny. I literally, 
then um, I, yeah, I kept watching videos and I kept reading, but I didn't make a beer for about 12 months from that, from when I first started reading and watching. And I just kept, and I, and that, what that meant was then the first time I made a beer, I avoided probably, you know, a hundred different mistakes people make in their first beers. Because wow. I, I was so, so well read by then already that I knew a lot. And I even like, before I made my first beer, I went and bought uh, a, just off eBay from a very affordable one. I bought a wort chiller, like mm-hmm. one that you hook up one end of to the tap. And then it's like a, just a copper spiral and you put it in and the other end you put into the, into your drain and that chills the beer. Then rather than it taking an hour and a half, two hours in an ice bath, it chills it. And, you know, if it's a, 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 it was like a five gallon batch and it chilled it in 25 minutes, um, which means then you avoid your uh, chances of infection uh, go way down. And, and, you know, that was the one piece of equipment that was, you know, cost more than a couple of dollars that I bought. Um, and so, yeah, from the very beginning, I was very careful about all that stuff. And, um, so yeah, I didn't make a lot of really stupid mistakes and I, I didn't, you know, I never really had a spoiled batch, um, from the beginning. Um, so yeah, that meant that my, you know, my, first few batches were, well, you know, I still made some stupid things. Like I, the, the first fruit beer I made, I just as an experiment, I tried adding fruit flavoring using jam. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which does not work. Don't do that. Did it turn into brandy or what? <laughs> I ended up with like this weird sort of sediment in the bottom of each bottle. Um, I think there was like probably continued to be some fermentation, in the in the bottle and so it was almost like a little bit sort of trubby in the bottom of the bottle um yeah i I, see that that was a silly thing to try um but you know i learned and you know wasn't an expensive mistake thankfully because it was on a homebrew scale so um yeah so there's lots of little things um you know and yeah that sort of you know recipe design and it's funny sometimes um, I would make, there were some beers we made where I would get it right the first time. And, and like, like our, our mild recipe was literally, that was the first time we ever made it. It was great. And I've never changed it. Um, but then like the Chester bitter, which is our best selling beer, I have made tweaks to that for about a year where every batch, we just slightly change stuff. Um, until it is now what it is and I won't change it at all now. Um, but yeah, it, you know, sometimes you get lucky, but sometimes it takes a while. That must be incredibly difficult when you're, I'm just thinking about like a year's worth of tweaking. It's not like you can go back to like a version 2.3, right? Like if you're all the way like six versions over, do you have stuff like, I guess in the refrigerator, you can go back to like that, you know, however many versions before, if there was something you liked, are you able to do that and and sort of just like sample different versions that you had done previously? Or is it just like from memory, you're like, oh, I remember like batch 2.4 was really good. I really liked this about that batch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I when I was homebrewing, I would like, 
what I would do was I would throw one or two bottles into under the stairs and put them away just so I could try them six months later to see. Right. Cause, because yeah, the beer, you know, if it's a hoppy beer, it typically peaks at, you know, three and a half, four weeks after you brew it, like you get the most intense and flavorful hops flavor coming through at that point. And then it, it slowly mutes itself over time. So like, you know, it's basically, you know, six months you have like a hazy IPA probably won't taste that great. Um, whereas the multi beers will taste fine at three weeks. They really taste much better about six weeks. And then some of them might taste even better at four months. Um, it just, yeah, it kind of depends on the malt bill. But the so I always found it interesting to just throw one or two in the cupboard and and try it later on and see see what um, difference it made. Um, but yeah, it all depends. I mean, that's the nice thing about not having pasteurized beer is it's not suspended in from when it was pasteurized. It just keeps evolving and it keeps changing for months and months. And like I mean, I've kept beers for you know up to a year and a half and they're still good and they still. Um, but they, you know, they they will taste very different potentially. Just yeah, because the hops hops flavor just doesn't last. But if you have some nice malt flavors hidden underneath the bitterness, then you know there's something left there. Um, but yeah, I mean, going back to old versions, I mean, I've definitely done that where I've gone back and gone, okay, well we like that. Well, maybe we try some, you know, maybe tweak something else different, you know, now. Um, or you change something you like that didn't work. Let's go back one or two steps and, and try something different. But um, yeah, you just, you know, it's half the fun is just playing around and trying to always improve on it. Right. Right. I would imagine you're an excellent note taker. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, it's funny. I'm not as uh, like, I'm detailed oriented when I make beer, but I'm definitely not at least, I, I don't know. I, my wife is a lot better at, noticing little things like when we we built the restaurant together and she would not let me do any of the like detail finishing on trim and stuff um because she would do it so much better so she made me let her do it (laughs) yeah that that helps that saves marriages man and if you can do that i mean it's like you know we always say that if you can renovate your house and you know with your wife and and you can still make it through that without getting divorced. Like then it's oh, man. Forever, right. Isn't that the ultimate test? <laughs> yeah. So I, I can't imagine like opening a brewery brewery and, you know, choosing all of the trim and everything down to all that kind of stuff. I can't even imagine what that that's like the, the ultimate test, like it's not you know? just your house, it's your livelihood. Yeah. It's everything. Right. Like that's, that's pretty heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, she, uh, she did the coolest thing she did in there was I wanted I wanted this like in, in British pubs, there's always this like sort of flowery wallpaper effect a lot of the time. And so I picked out this, um, we wanted it to do that, but make it look a little cooler, a little, you know, more stylish. So we have this like damask um, blue sort of flowery effect on the wall, but buying wallpaper is super expensive. So I bought this like $55 stencil and then she painstakingly stenciled the stencil all around the the tap room and it's 
if I'd have done it, it would not have been straight and it would have like probably looked <laughs> terrible. She did it and it, everyone thinks it's wallpaper because it's perfect. Like yeah. <laughs> wallpaper when I went in there. So it looks fantastic. So this yeah. is the, the interior of the tap room. Cause I think I saw pictures of this online. Yeah. If you, if you go on our website, I think you might be able to see the stencil on there. It looks, uh, the whole vibe is really cool. It's really original, to be honest with you. I've never really seen anything like it. And there's like a blue flooring kind of material. Or was I looking at the right, the right images? Uh, up, yeah, upstairs has a blue, actually, it's just painted, the floor's just painted blue. Yeah. Uh, it's like concrete uh, painted blue. And then downstairs now we have uh, like a vinyl plank that's like a dark oak color. Um, because I, you know, wanted that like sort of old wood look on the floor. Um, and so we installed that actually over the winter, uh, me and my brother spent like, we literally closed the bar for like 36 hours and made the whole floor. And yeah, that was a, <laughs> that was a, uh, crazy, um, Monday, but, um, yeah, I got it done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hey, let's, uh, why don't we talk Oasis? Let's talk a little Oasis, shall we? I, I gotta, I want to jump into it because, uh, you know, it's you got Oasis. a hankering. It's, yeah, I got a hankering <laughs> for Oasis. So, um, we've been talking about it for a very long time that it's been on the list and yeah. 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 So Simon, maybe this personal connection, I kind of want to go back to that, to this, uh, that you mentioned. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Certainly. Yeah. So um so yeah definitely maybe i think did that come out in 94 94 yeah 94 so i was very you know i was quite young then i I was born in 89 um but i have a brother who's nine years older than me uh well i have three brothers but one of them's nine years older than me and he is the biggest oasis fan he bought every single every album uh, he he saw them at Nebworth when they played their like oh, famous yeah. concert. Um, uh, we all saw them together at uh, Old Trafford Cricket Ground in 2003. But anyway, so I remember from yeah from when Definitely Maybe came out. He would he was a bit of a stroppy teenager, but he used to blast that those albums that and What's the Story Morning Glory every morning when he was getting ready and like, yeah, like we all knew every song on those albums off by heart. And, um, and they, you know, I mean, and you also just couldn't escape them in England. Like they were just at the time, you know, besides the Spice Girls, they were, <laughs> they were the big, biggest thing in Britain. And uh, of course the Gallagher brothers were just, you know, so ridiculous. Yep. Um, and I think, you know, a little bit, they played it up and, and the press loved, loved to write about it. So you just couldn't get away from them. Um, but yeah, like, and like, you know, Noel Gallagher, like he just, he did have this crazy streak of just writing number one hits. Like he just couldn't write a bad song for a few years there. He's still um, kind of crushing it. I mean, his, his level of writing has not wavered. Even till no. with his high flying birds, it still has not like they're all fantastic. Yeah, Absolutely. and you can get on the the bill for any major festival too, and be up there right on on the bill with the, with the high flying birds, right? Like he's still going. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean he uh, he says though himself that he struggles a lot more than he used to. Like he said, it used to just pour out of it. 
mm-hmm. um, and when he was, you know, starting out. And um, but it's funny because Liam as well, like Liam, basically now his band, he 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 did for a little bit. He had the beady eyes, and now he tours as Liam Gallagher. But he's basically a. I think now he basically has the rest of Oasis except Noel in his band again. Really. <laughs> Really, and they play all the Oasis songs. That's so they're, they're basically Oasis without Noel now. But uh, wow. yeah, so the pair of them, you know, and some of Liam's solo stuff's not bad as well. Um, so um, yeah, they're both still killing it, especially over in Europe. Yep. Well, I mean, and you, when you were talking, Simon, like uh, they were big, you know, the biggest band in Europe, uh, or or in the UK at least, right? Like. It, over even in Canada, they were the biggest band in the world too. Like during that time, that was it was blowing up over here too, right? Like it was it was massive. You couldn't escape it. And 96, 97. Yeah, yeah. like it, it was just everywhere, right? And uh the video was on, you know, our like much music on our video station here in Canada. Like it was all over the place, right? So yeah it was it's it's kind of crazy when you hear like you know what was it doing then you know before we had the internet connection of that it's like what was it like for you you know like that was huge you know like they're massive so um yeah and and then i i I got to be here now which is kind of the next thing on there too uh i wanted to talk about be here now and and your thoughts on anybody's thoughts on that album overall (laughs) well it's (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, they always like. I mean, it's tough. I, you know, I can, I do sympathize with the fact that, like, you know, you, you have, you have your breakout album, and I think a lot of people maybe don't realize when you get these bands that have an amazing first album. A lot of the time, that's probably like not just a year's work. It might be five, ten years work that they've then compiled into this first album. They've put it out. And it's been really successful. And then everyone turns around and goes, all right, what else are you going to do? And you come out with a second one. And a lot of the time, that's where everyone fails. They make a second album. It's not quite as good. It was all right. But, you know, it's not as good as the first. And and the band then sort of levels out. And then with Oasis, they had Definitely Maybe, which was really good. And then, I mean, you can argue forever about which was better. What's the story, Morning Glory, Definitely Maybe. But that album definitely outsold Definitely Maybe and was huge. Yeah. So then now it's okay, come up with a third album. And by then they'd been touring, doing way too many drugs, perhaps had gotten, you know, their egos must have just been massive. Yeah. And so they put out this album, which like in reflection, like if they hadn't put out the other two albums, probably most people would say it was a fine album. Yeah. But it just looked like such a train wreck at the time <laughs> after the first two and just nonsensical. Um, and like, yeah, like you listen to it now and you're like, oh, it's one or two good tracks. But yeah, it was just, I think everyone just expected them to then release a third amazing album. And, you know, nobody does that. Like who the hell, you know, there's very few bands you can say at three, you know, world-class albums in a row that's pretty much unheard of yeah and we we talked about that album a bit before and a couple past episodes where you know it was it was one of those albums where shrilly it was very shrilly and (laughs) because of the 
the the medication they were on. I mean, the the amount of the amount of cocaine they were on and and other drugs were, uh, you know, when when Noel was he he took on he basically took on all the mixing side of things. So when when he is on these certain substances, it's messing with his hearing. So he hears things a certain way, and then after his mix, everything comes out really high pitched and shrill and but you don't, he doesn't notice it when he's doing it. But after the fact, it's, it's, it's a hard listen. And, and there's a lot, there's, you, you can tell that they were trying to do some really cool things there, but they just seemed like stretched out uh, a really cool idea that was stretched out way too far. Yeah. And it's like, how long is that album too? It's like, <laughs> it was like it's two hours. Like <laughs> I, I love this song. I love this song. This song is amazing. This song kicks ass. And then uh, you're listening to it. And the last minute and change of the song is just the exact same thing cycling over and over again to a fade out or to a whatever it's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a funny album, album, but but Simon, you're right. You know, like I'm trying to, I've been racking my brain even since you said it, trying to think of a band that has come up with three world-class albums in a row. And maybe that's another episode in itself just to find I, out if we can see that. But I think know. the only band I can think off the top of my head would be Led Zeppelin, like one, two, and three. Yep. Yeah. Like, are all bloody good albums. Yeah. Yeah. Prodigy. Or the Beatles. <laughs> the, or the Beatles. Beatles. Yeah. I guess you could call the Beatles. Yeah, I guess. So, hey, like. Yeah, they were fine. I guess. Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> right. Uh, I do. I do think it would be hilarious. though. like, you know, you're in. You're in the studio with them recording "Be Here Now," and and Noel's just screaming that he wants more helicopters. Yes. But like, I that's why I always thought, like, you know, the, didn't anybody just kind of come to the end and be like, you know what, this sounds awful. Like you gotta go back and like do this, and it was probably just like not telling them anything, right? Like they probably wouldn't hear anything of that. But well, you know, need to. It could have been like Nirvana, where you know that once you had that ginormous album, nobody talked to you anymore. It's like you do whatever you want. You have free reign to, you know, Nevermind came out. Anything after that, it's like you have free reign to do whatever you want because you're a money maker. And when you look at Definitely Maybe and What's the Story, Morning Glory those were money making albums. So it's like your third one. Okay. Do whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody had it right. Like it wasn't just like that type of music that liked it and, and bought that album. It was so popular that everybody bought it. Right. And I think that was another reason why it got so big so fast. It was just popular on so many different levels. Right. And, you know, even letting my kids listen to it, I'm like, this it's, it's tame. It's there's no swears in it. There, it's all tame stuff, and I'm like, go for it. Like you know, uh, it's it's reachable to so many different levels and so many different people too. I think that, that was part of it as well. Yeah, most definitely. Well, they and it, what's interesting is like for as much of a disaster as it was, like it wasn't like they'd run out of steam or run out of creativity because the one of my favorite or my favorite thing to listen to by them still is the master plan oh i was gonna bring yeah. up. i i love that love that album and it's and that's just a collection of b-sides it's oh, right if, if you go and like because my brother had all those singles and they yeah a lot of those tracks were the b-sides on all those singles yep. and 
they were fantastic. Like it's, yeah, it's still like, it, you know, I play guitar and those are the songs I actually go and, and yeah. have learned and, yeah. and wanted to, yeah. And it is funny because you'd certainly like, you learn them and then if you go back and learn Beatles, you're like, oh yeah, he did steal all this shit from John Lennon. That's hilarious. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, that's, but that's, there was you know, open about it, no? <laughs> yeah. And like, and to be fair, like, you know, music, and all, all forms of art, you're always building on the, you know, the established, um, you know, stuff that's there. And, you know, you tweak it and you change it and you try and, and, and music's tough because, yeah, it's not a lot of chords out there. There's just not, there isn't. Like, there's just only so many notes and so many things you can do. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's inevitable. I think that that's a really good point because, like, we, uh, me and uh, me and my fiance were listening to Oasis today. We we're trying to figure out why they're so catchy. We're sort of breaking the songs down into like, okay, so it's it's quite simplistic, but like they would sort of, you know, between like the the verse and the chorus, they're always like quite different, right? Like that's what sort of like I think made them apart from anything else that was you know, going on at that time in the nineties. And so to me, it was really interesting because you don't have to like reinvent the wheel, right? You just make it better. And it seemed like they were really good at that. They're really good at subtle changes that like, you didn't really, it, it didn't really like, you know, register, but it sounded really good. And like, I wasn't a huge Oasis fan, but I think that contrast was, was really nice, you know, between like, you know, for, from what I listened to today, just like with a critical ear, it was like the, ver the, the verse and the chorus, but then there's also like the music that they played and then like who they were as like the brothers and like this sort of like, you know, drug addicted and like out of control, like the Australian tour that just went off the rails and, it, it was, it was an interesting thing that a band that was so radio friendly could be like badasses. So I think they had this real interesting sort of like contrast thing going on that really made you pay attention to them. Well, and the, like what, you know, what in England I think made them big was people connected with them in that they were working class guys and they were, you know, they were just normal blokes. And like one of my favorite quotes from, I think it was Noel said it, where he said, in Manchester, there's only three ways to make money. You either play football, you deal drugs, or you play music. And we were crap at football. We didn't know any drug dealers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, or they were using too much to... <laughs> well, I think once once they became big musicians, suddenly they met a lot of them. Probably, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that and that was it. Like they were, yeah, they were just. And apparently, there's. I don't know if it's true. I heard that um, the reason Noel was in the band was because their mum. Oh, sorry. The reason Liam was in the band was because uh, Noel and Liam's mum made them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah, I heard that story too. It's it's uh, it, well, didn't wasn't Oasis the original lineup? Wasn't it Liam's band? And he uh, apparent what I that he basically begged Noel to come in there. Really? 
that's that's what I got off of. Uh, there, there was a really big documentary uh, DVD that came out probably ten years ago, roughly, and that that was part of it. It was it was uh, it, I think it was it, it mostly based on the making of Definitely Maybe. Oh, but who who knows? I mean, that's who knows. Every everybody has their own little story, and even you know, if you talk to Noel, it's one story. You talk to Liam, it's completely different. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and who knows what they can even remember now? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they um, yeah. But I mean, like you know, I do, I do like Liam, but you know, you do have to give so much credit to Noel. Like he clearly was the songwriter and yeah you know if it without him that band doesn't exist like you know and and you know and would they have existed without Liam well you know if you look at the um <laughs> you watch at the MTV unplugged set yeah. where what, what did. yeah if you what apparently happened was literally they had like Liam was sick which probably meant they had a fight and Liam was like screw you I'm not doing the set yeah. and so Noel sang all the songs and nailed it and just kind of proved, yeah, it, he could have done it all and it would have worked. Yep. There's yeah. something about Liam Noel, right? Like there's something <laughs> about it. Yeah. Like, he's yeah. got that, you know, yeah, he's got that kind of attitude. Punk, you know, punk attitude, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, you got the mic up and he's got his hands behind his back and he's got his sunglasses With his tambourine on. and, and a Stella on the other hand. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like there's something that Noel can't do that, right? And yeah, I mean, I, I totally under get it where where you're coming from, but it's just like you still gotta have Liam to that whole thing, or else you don't have Oasis, right? And you don't, and you need Noel, or you don't have Oasis. It's mm-hmm. it's symbiotic relationship, and that's what makes it so interesting because they need each other, but apparently they hate each other. That's what the media has made it out to be, right? Like, that's, yeah. So it's funny. I mean, I like that symbiotic relationship because it, it really did seem like it. I mean, yeah, they, they were just, they, they were two people coming together for the sake of making a band that was super famous, I guess. Yeah. And like, I go, I keep going back to the catchy stuff because it's, it's the catchiest shit ever. You, I, I, you know, I go back and listen to it now. I'm like, yeah, this is all right. And an hour later, we're walking the dog, and I'm just like, I can't get the songs out of my head. Oh, yeah. You know, it's I just, yeah. I, um, I, I, well, yeah, you're right about the attitude thing with Liam, though. Uh, it cracked me up. I saw him at the Commodore ballroom with BDIs. If you, uh, years oh, wow. Yeah. And it was so funny because he comes out on stage and I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure you guys must have had watched a show at the Commodore at some point. It, yeah. No matter what what time of year, who's playing, if you're down in the front, it gets boiling hot, boiling hot in there. And he comes out in a full parker. As you, <laughs> uh, yeah. And he's playing his set and it's getting hotter and hotter. And he is sweating under his arms through a coat like that's how hot he is. He's sweating through his entire coat. He's not taking it off. Keeps it on the whole time. And you know, he's at this point in his forties, at least he's still pretending to pick fights with people in the audience and like, yeah, mugging people off. And yeah, you're right. Like that attitude and that like showmanship was just, yeah, it's, and I, and I, I am a big fan of that with any band. Like 
I love going to watch live acts, but to be honest, if there isn't some element there beyond their own music that is, you know, that showmanship, I feel a little let down. Like, I do want that in my live acts. You know, I want them to do something completely mental and just perform and, yeah, make it, you know, a show. And that's yeah. that's rock and roll, man. That's rock. That's punk. It should be, it should be entertaining. Otherwise, you know, stay home and listen to the album. Exactly. It's got, yeah. That's it's got to be entertaining, though. I I saw Mike Patton with Peeping Tom at the Commodore. Same thing. Started lipping off the crowd, and like it went the other way. People were oh, just no. like, "Wait a second, man." <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, it depends. Depends on the crowd. Yeah. Uh, my, I, my, but just, I don't know why it just reminded me of, like, the most ridiculous thing I ever saw, actually, at that venue was, they weren't even, they weren't even the main act. They were actually opening. It was this band called Foxy Shazam. And um, they were opening for The Darkness. And the, Whoa, really? the, lead, the lead singer is, like, five foot two. He, he like look he sounds like Freddie Mercury like really good voice and he's very high pitched even when he's talking and uh, he, he he asks for a cigarette like during a bit of a lull someone throws him a cigarette and he's like no 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 give me a pack so someone throws a whole pack of cigarettes he lights six of them takes one drag turns them over they're still lit and eats all of them oh. and then carries on singing <laughs> <laughs> Wow. There's the story. You got to have a story at the end of a show. <laughs> like yeah. Show when this happened. Otherwise, you know. He ate my cigarettes, man. <laughs> <laughs> He's puking in the back alley for like six hours after that. You got to stop doing this, man. I'm sorry, Simon. Were you at that show? Yeah. How were the darkness? Uh, again, true showmanship. He had three costume changes. Yeah, I bet he did. <laughs> this yeah. is unreal. Oh man. Yeah. No, that's another yeah, another brilliant British band. Um absolutely. Yeah. But it's funny because like they they had that one first album, Fish in the Land, that was just amazing. And they never quite they had some good tracks, but they never quite threw out another one at the same level, you know. But, the latest uh, one, man, is like I feel like I feel like yeah. they kind of figured it out. Like they figured out like the mix between like the funny and like the still awesome. And they've kind of it's come together. And like his lyrics are just hilarious. Like there's yeah. an entire yeah, yeah. song about like, you know, a robot sex toy. Like it's just like, <laughs> but the whole thing is just brilliant, right? Like just like talking about getting wires crossed and like, you know to she doesn't give me any attitude and like you know all i have to do is just put her on pause or like you know stuff like that right it's just like so the lyrics are just so good and but yeah i I just feel like they've kind of figured themselves out now and there was kind of yeah permission to land and then a few other albums one way ticket to hell and back was all right it's the same thing i like barbarian too like or the last of of our kind is so good good. yeah you look at uh barbarian or yeah so good fire is great or you've got mudslide i mean it's yeah. it's packed yeah yeah no it's, yeah. it's good great band we should do a darkness episode We're on the list 
<laughs> so, so do you have Simon a favorite Oasis album? Can can you narrow it down to the album that crushes all? I I say I said it before the master plan for me personally. Like cool, you know. I um I I am a. It's funny because we were talking about this uh, not that long ago. Me and my eldest brother who's a big Oasis fan, and he says definitely maybe. And I, I honestly of the sort of the if we're not because because Master Plan wasn't technically like a right. an A side album, uh, then I would actually say what's the story Morning Glory. Nice. Um, I just think you know it's just banging from start to finish. Like it starts so well, and yeah, there's just not a bad song on that. And that's yeah. It's, again, there's so few albums out there where there isn't a single track that you're like, yeah, well, you know, I love most of them, but that one maybe could. Uh, I could skip that one. Yeah. Yeah, like such a good album. Yeah, they're they're one of the I think the better like B-sides bands. You know, like I think of some bands that have had great B-sides, like I think of Radiohead B-sides, fantastic, right? Like I think of uh, Oasis ones like so good, right? There's so many uh, there's no I, I shouldn't say there's so many, there's not very many bands that have really solid b-sides that go along that complement their a-sides mm-hmm. you know their b-sides are usually like yeah that's kind of cool like that's that's a neat idea i'm i could see why it didn't make the album you know <laughs> you can see that loss but you know with with both of those bands both radiohead and oasis um both also great b-side bands yeah yeah i mean yeah the only yeah, the only other, like one that I kind of obsess over literally anything they've ever made is is like wow, and they're such a short lived was the Smiths, you know, like they just I don't think you know they literally there's like I think they've had one song I never liked, but yeah, like again, just everything, and it's funny because that's another like you know talking about symbiosis, you've got you know the guitar of Johnny Marr and the lyrics of Morrissey are just a match made in heaven. And now you listen to their solo stuff and you listen to Ma and you're like, well, he plays well, but he could do with some better lyrics. And you listen to Morrison, you're like, oh, he sings well, but he could do with some better guitar licks. And like, <laughs> shit, if they went together, they'd probably make some really good music. But, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the Smith, you don't have Radiohead, so. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's right. Yeah. That's um, hey, Simon, thanks for joining us. Uh, Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, sorry. I don't know what happens. My like my Siri comes on. I think when I say, "Hey," <laughs> when it comes on. So like Dude. I have to click it off. Yeah, I haven't done that yet. But yeah, we appreciate you taking the time and then rescheduling with us too, and then waiting for us and working through technical difficulties. Uh, it was a great chat with you. Uh, Thank you all so the way much. around. Yeah, yeah oh, thanks, Oasis so. and beer. Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, I was kind of bummed when we got your email. It's like, oh man, he's not going to make it. And then, and then the reschedule is, is perfect, man. And it was no, worth yeah. saving it. It was worth saving it in the back <laughs> of the fridge. It stayed there. So, but it's it's gone now. It's gone now, but it was good. It was good. Yeah, no, that was great fun. And yeah, no, thanks for having me. I really appreciate yeah. it. Sounds great. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much. All right. Cheers. Bye. Cheers, man. Bet. See ya. Peace. All right, we want you guys to subscribe, share, and review this podcast. Keep it going, keep it strong, because we're having a great time entertaining you guys with B-Sides and Beers podcast.